Morning, church. So uh, we get to do something this morning that I'm really excited about. Uh, we get to do an all-of-life interview. Uh, for those of us who've been here at Redemption Tucson for a while, you will remember these. Uh, if you are new, let me just take a moment to explain. It's one of the things that we love to say at Redemption is all of life is all for Jesus. Toda la vida es todo para Jesús. And you'll see that on some cool shirts that people will wear around uh, church. Uh, so that's what that means, right? All of life is all for Jesus. And what that means is it's not just all of your life. That is true. Everything that you have is not your own. It's for you to steward, right? Um, but it's not just everything in your life that is all for Jesus. But it is everything in creation is all for Jesus. And so we get to look at different pockets of society, different things, uh, different passions that people have, different ways to get involved with the gospel in action and get to see Jesus's hearts for that as he moves in and through the hearts of people within our congregation. And we do that through these things called all of life interviews. And so that's what we're gonna be doing today. And so uh, for our first all of life interview of 2024, would you please help me in welcoming up my friends, Charlie and Alex Wheeler. So as they wake, uh, make their way up here, a couple things um, that you guys have already noticed is uh, we are talking about foster care, adoption, and kinship uh, this morning. Something that, as I've talked with the Wheelers, have just been able to see for myself more of God's heart in it. I think uh, most Christians would agree that this is something that God obviously cares about. But it was through a conversation with them that I was really able to see um, a lot of the nuances and even just have light shed on, on a topic, on an area of life that I really didn't know too much about. And so I'm really excited to have you guys. And I already spoiled your names, but could you remind us again? So tell us your names and then could you also introduce your family for us? Yeah, thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, we are uh, Charlie and Alex Wheeler. Uh, we've been married for nine years, and we have three kids. Okay. Um, there they are on the screen. Um, from left to right, oldest to youngest, we have David. Um, he just turned five. In the middle, that's Adia. She is three and a half. And then uh, on the right is Isaiah. He's one and a half. Um, and so our oldest two kids, we were blessed to adopt through foster care um, after we were their foster parents. Uh, we were licensed foster parents for four years um, before we eventually um, closed our license once we finished their adoption process. Sweet. Like I mentioned earlier, we wanted to invite you guys to do this all of life interview to really illuminate a lot of us in here about the foster care and adoption system. because. A lot of us may not know exactly what that process looks like. We've heard those words before. For example, when I met with them earlier this week, I was like, what is kinship? I've heard of foster care and adoption. I had no idea what kinship was, and they were able to kind of define that for me as well. So I think that's an important thing as we talk about all of life is all for Jesus, is to even kind of demystify a lot of that, right, to make it more accessible to us to see God working in that. Um, but I, my first question I want to ask you guys and I'm stealing some of your words from our previous conversation. But how did the Lord tug on your heartstrings for foster care, adoption, and kinship? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, we both had been interested in the um, idea of adoption before we even got married, but it wasn't until maybe 2015 or 2016, there was actually um, a sermon here at Redemption um, about foster care, and that really tugged at our heartstrings. We began pursuing um, learning more about foster care. We went to an orientation, um, and after that, we just knew our hearts were burdened to become foster parents. Like There are currently 9,395 kids in foster care in the state of Arizona. There are 25 kids who enter foster care daily in our state. Um, these children end up in foster care for a myriad of reasons, most commonly abuse or neglect. Um, just hearing these numbers and thinking about all these children hurting, not having a home to call their own, that just burdened us and drove us to become licensed parents, um, foster parents, sorry, in 2018. That's incredible. And just hearing those numbers, I mean, it breaks my heart. And it reminds me, and I think you guys embody this so well, Jesus' heart in Matthew 9, when he looked out amongst the crowds and had compassion. And just even hearing in your voice, like that, that same heart that Jesus must have had when he looked out and his heart was breaking and he like had compassion upon them. And so that's, that's incredible. Um, something that when we say all of life is all for Jesus, uh, that means we can see the gospel's redemptive work in everything that we see in creation. And so how would you guys describe foster care, kinship, and adoption as a gospel issue? How is the gospel related to this at all? Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. <laughs> how is it not? Um, God is the great adopter who pursues us. He is called the father to the fatherless. He invites us into his family and says, that in him we have obtained an inheritance. What touched us during our children's adoption hearings was when the judge looked at us to affirm that once this child is adopted, he or she um, will have the same inheritance rights as any biological child would. That is the gospel. God gives us a new identity as sons and daughters of his kingdom and its riches. Wow. That's so good. And uh, something that Alex didn't mention when we were talking, you had even just gone through almost each of the questions at that court hearing when you got to that adoption. And I remember every time you asked that question, that's a part of our legal process when adopting a kid. Every question I was like, God does that for us. God does that for us. God does that for us. And, it, and so when you say that this is a gospel issue, like it is so clear that when we have been, what it means for us to be adopted into the family of God, like is so, it's so much more beautiful than like that, just that like, oh, that feels nice. Because when you explained that and I got to, and that's a real process, the life change that happens for these kids, it's so good. It's so good. And obviously you're still growing in this process as you guys uh, move forward into parenting and, and your family gets bigger. So what are you learning still in this process? You guys aren't uh, finished products, right? Um, but so how are you guys still learning? How is God still tugging at your heartstrings in this process? Yeah, in a different season of life, we would be open, um, or we'd be open to opening our home again to foster children. That is a possibility. Um, in this moment, we really feel it's our charge to ask others to consider uh, becoming foster parents, and then we can walk alongside those people and support them in that role. 
Uh, the need for foster homes in our city, it's so grave, and we trust that God will stir your hearts and the hearts of other believers in churches across Tucson to open their homes. When we were actively fostering, um, we did have long-term placements with our two kiddos up there, um, but another thing that is involved in foster care, it's called respite care, um, and that, what that is, is it's short-term care for children um, who are either waiting for a long-term foster care pl placement or their foster parents are needing support in some way. And so we also got to partake in that. Um, we were able to care for different children for several days at a time to serve other foster parents. During this time, we met a couple who were in their early 60s who had been fostering elementary-aged children for decades. Um, they were a great example to us that it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, you can open your home to children in need of a bed and a loving guardian. Um, and I think we can make the mistake sometimes in church, a lot of things are geared towards married people or people with kids, and, and that's all good and everything, but this isn't just a call to married people. Um, single people of any age can be involved, and they can make a difference in the lives of these children in many ways. And so... Um, there are a lot of ways for all of God's people to be involved, but I'd like to challenge everyone in this room to prayerfully consider uh, parenting foster children. Wow. And I love that bold ask. It's something that we had talked about of like, man, what would it look like to be unapologetic in, in showing the need and just being like, man, have, have we actually truly considered this? As a parent myself, I know that in the past, before even that conversation we had, if, if it ever came up, I'm like, oh, you know, that would be cool in the future. Like, I, but, like, I don't know, it might be too hard in this season. But I never truly considered that. And I think after talking to you guys and hearing your passion for it, I was like, man, I want to, I want to truly consider what that cost may be for our family. And, and that might not be becoming licensed foster parents. Um, but I love what you said there. We're all, like, there's so many ways to get involved. Some of us here might be called to play more of a support role in this, uh, in the foster care, adoption, and kinship system. Some of us here might be called to enter into the process of becoming licensed foster parents. But something that is true of all of us is the great commandment, that we're called to love our neighbor, and that this is one incredibly tangible way to do so, to open up the doors of your home uh, for these kids. Man, that's, it's so good. So, Charlie, could you share some of the statistics that you had shared with me um, that painted the urgent need for more people to consider what it looks like to be part of the foster care system. Yeah, definitely. So um, specific to Arizona, 40% of the children in foster care right now in Arizona are under the age of six. 55% are under the age of nine. Um, there are 508 children in Arizona um, who currently have no adoptive placement identified. Uh, the following stats are regarding children who are never adopted. So when they turn 18, um, they age out of the foster care system, and they are on their own. 20% of youths in foster care will immediately become homeless when they turn 18. Without finding a forever family, 25% of these children will be in prison by their 20th birthday. 70% of these kids indicate that they would like to go to college someday. Only 3% will ever graduate college in their lifetime. And then this one really stands out for regarding girls. Uh, seven out of 10 girls who age out of the foster care system will become pregnant before the age of 21. Um, so these are just a few of the heartbreaking stats. Unfortunately, there are many more that demonstrate just how challenging life can be without the safety and support of a loving home. 
Um, many of the issues and the suffering that lead to children ending up in foster care in the first place, they become cyclical and they repeat themselves for generations. Um, but it does not have to be this way. These children deserve a chance in a loving environment to be able to thrive. Yeah, man, and I think just that speaks to the gospel permeating through all of creation, through everything, through every pocket of society and every broken relationship, right? Because the gospel speaks so much more than just our personal standing with God. Like, the gospel breaks cycles, like you had mentioned, right? And to be people who can stand in the gap and be a part of breaking these cycles uh, for these kids, both young kids and teenagers, um, to man, like, what, to what would it look like to break the cycle of more than 3% actually graduating from college, right? Uh, for them to end up unhoused or to go to prison and, and to actually give them um, a shot. Because those statistics, man, those are daunting. Those are daunting. And, and I'm sure those kids feel it too when they see their friends go through that and they're like, do I even have a chance, right? And I, I'm sure that that might even be a question that a lot of us have asked ourselves um, when choosing to truly follow Jesus when you come face to face with your sin and ask yourself, do I even have a chance to stand before a perfect and righteous and holy God? But Jesus stood in the gap for us and Jesus made a way for us. And so, man, I love how that just even just demonstrates the gospel, all of life, all for Jesus even more. Um, so the last question that I have is for you, Alex. You had mentioned uh, this idea of growing love, growing love. Could you share with us a little bit more about what you meant by that? Yeah. Um, I believe it takes a willing person to be a foster parent, not a special person. Charlie and I are not special. We just heard the call and answered it. Um, God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. I believe we can all tangibly love our neighbors by inviting these children disrupted from their families into our loving, safe homes. We can all choose and learn to love these vulnerable children and their biological families. We choose to love our spouse. We choose to love our biological children. We can also choose to love others. Adoption is the story of God's pursuit of us. He does it for these kids too. He doesn't leave them in the margins. We just, in our story, we saw just in the details, the way God orchestrated everything for our two children, David and Adia, to come home to us. And it reminds me of what we're learning right now in Esther. God um, works in these details. They're not just seemingly consequent. I mean, coincidences, sorry. I can't go off the cuff very well. <laughs> but, yeah. Man, that is so good. And I, like you said, choosing to love, right? Like moving towards our neighbors in love. Uh, oftentimes that distance is big for us and it's scary and it's hard and there's a cost to it, but there's no greater distance to cover, to love people than the distance that it took from Jesus to go from the throne down into a manger in the ground. There's no greater distance. And so I think like for us, the invitation is how can we move towards our neighbors in love just as Jesus did. And this is such an incredibly beautiful image of doing that. And so I want to encourage all of us again, what does it look like to truly consider what it, what it could be to, to be a part of uh, the foster care adoption and kinship system? 
Um, and for those of us positioned to, to consider what it could look like to be a licensed parent, have you actually done business with Jesus about that? Um, or have you just kind of brushed it to the side because it was, I oh, was just too hard. Um, but actually doing business with the Lord. I love that you guys challenged us to do so. And so if you want more information, something that I really want to encourage you to do is to, there's going to be a table out in the foyer after service. The wheelers will be there. They have some flyers with more information. And on those flyers, there's a couple dates. It'll also be right up here. Uh, it's February 29th, which exists this year, um, which is great. And uh, March 12th, and both are at 6 p.m., different locations. You can see them there. And, but please stop by at their table in the lobby afterwards just to get more information because even if there was an inkling, a thought in your brain of like, maybe I could take a part of this, volunteer somewhere, partner with a nonprofit, or even just get some more information on what it looks like to take a step forward in the process of becoming a licensed foster parent, we would love to just talk to you about that and just uh, pray with you about what the Lord could have for you in this. And so uh, before I pray for the Wheelers, I would love to invite, if you are a part of the foster care, adoption, or kinship system, or if that is a part of your story at all, would you please also stand um, right now so we could uh, cover you in prayer as well? Thank you. Wow. Wow. Sweet. So let me go ahead. Uh, please remain standing, y'all. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pray for the Wheelers, all of our friends here, as well as the foster care adoption and kinship system. Heavenly Father, we recognize that all of life is all for you. Not just our own little kingdoms of what we can see in our day-to-day, -day, Lord, but especially the hard things to look at. You care about these things. The statistics that 25 Kids in Arizona alone enter the foster care system every day. Lord, every week there are nearly 200 kids that enter into that system. And Jesus, we just ask, would you move in such a way, um, would you move in such a way that there would be a day when there are no more kids in the foster care system because people who cared enough about them, about loving them, would take actionable steps to do so. We thank you and praise you for the wheelers and our brothers and sisters standing up right now. We, we praise you and thank you for them and their stories. Lord, there were so many costs, Lord, but none greater than the cost that you pay for us and for these people standing as well as the wheelers to model and to embody what it means to be willing to move towards others in love in a way that is costly. Lord, just, I hope, would push us and usher us to the foot of your throne. Would you help us embody all of life, being all for Jesus? Would you help us see you more clearly? And I pray, would you stir up in our hearts a desire um, Lord, as a church, to rally around the people that you specifically call to be a part of this redemptive work, the gospel work of the foster care and adoption system. Lord, thank you so much. We pray all these things in your perfect and holy name. Amen. And I want to invite all of us to stand up as we read the word of God. And as a reminder, we, read, we stand out of reverence and offer God in his perfect and holy word. <clears throat> 
today's scripture is James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue and deceive, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. world. Sorry, This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thanks be to God, and thank you, Wheelers and MJ. Let's thank them. Let's consider this question together, church, as we start our time in God's Word. What does it mean, or what would it look like to be a good Christian? What, what does it mean for you and for me, and for us to be good Christians. Some would answer that by saying it's to understand and believe and embrace that by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. Those are historically known as the five solas, uh, that, and that sola is just Latin for like only or alone. Those things alone, that, that is the, the substance, that that's what it means to know and follow Jesus and to have an orthodox faith, a theologically grounded faith, to a good faith. And if you believe those things and understand those things, then you are quote-unquote, a good Christian. Well, churches and people, we tend to fall into one of two pitfalls. We either believe that, that again, it's intellectual, theological, orthodoxy, faith, that what we confess and what we profess is really what matters most about uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we get more information. We study the Bible and, and we do those things, which are really, really good things, but we kind of put our faith in a box and say, that's what it means to be a good Christian. And then on the other side of the slope, if you will, the other pitfall is to say, it's really all about what you do and how you live. And it does, and then it can go even to extremes of it doesn't really matter what or who you believe God to be, or it just kind of you begin to maybe stray away from a, a, a humble sub, submission to who God says he is and what he says about himself. And it gets very into kind of a, a human-centered, just it's all about what we do. Even I'll, I'll just say some have heard the phrase or the that's um, been um, uh, kind of accredited to or given to um, St. Francis of Assisi that, that is, um, right, like, um, you know, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words, or when only necessary, use words. And there's actually some disagreement on whether or not uh, St. Francis even said that or if it's been misconstrued. And that gets taken as like, you know, evangelism and, again, Orthodox Christianity doesn't really matter as long as you just are a good person. And I would say that's a pitfall. That's not true. 
well, we would push back against that. But at the same time, in a church maybe like ours, you might assume, oh, the five solas, uh, those things I just said, theology, that's really all that really matters and what we press into. And especially on a week like this, we want to pause and press into and ask God, no, what does he say it looks like to be a good disciple, a good follower of Jesus? What does faithfulness look like? So that's what we'll be looking at briefly together this morning. Uh, as I said earlier, good morning. I want to introduce myself. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to preach this morning. And um, and and we're only going to be primarily in those two verses. So if you'll turn with me to James chapter 1, that's where we'll be this morning. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you don't have a book, Bible with you, will you hold your hand up high and keep it up and we will get you one, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a Bible to follow along with. Again, if you don't own one, this is our gift to you, so uh, please hold your hand up, keep it up, and we'll be sure to get you one. And uh, I also want to let you know, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, uh, I have a stutter. It'll come in and out as I preach, and I want to make sure that you know um, what that is. And also, um, before I pray, I just want to Acknowledge, I intentionally wore this shirt this morning. I noticed we got a couple jerseys in here, probably some, you know, Chiefs fans, some 49ers fans. I'm wearing red so I can just be, you know, with whoever. And, um, and, and yet, that's not why I'm wearing it. This is a Tucson High football shirt. No, I didn't play football Tucson High. No, I'm not a coach there, but I'm a fan. But, um, but I'm actually wearing it because I know that um, yesterday was a huge day, the Lunar New Year um, uh, for many, especially of our Asian and Asian American brothers and sisters in our community. That's a, a huge day and a huge celebration. And so just kind of in, you know, honor and, and remembrance of that, um, that big, uh, big day, um, I wore red. Because that's, that's really kind of a, a symbol for that. So nothing to do with football. Uh, will you go ahead and, and uh, pray with me as we continue together? Again, Jesus, uh, as has been said this morning so well, and um, as we now ask this question of what, what faithfulness looks like, we pray that uh, who you are and what you've done will inform and define and shape everything about us everything about our lives, everything about life in general. Um, when you, Lord Jesus, taught your followers to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we join in that prayer. And we would add, um, as your word uh, informs, um, Lord, in our hearts, in our homes, in our communities, in our church, let your will be done as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of James, the gospel, uh, or not the gospel, but the uh, James is a letter written to um, a group of people. And uh, it's said it's, it's written to people who are seeking to be faithful, but have been scattered. The diaspora. The word people who have been scattered and again are seeking to be faithful and are and are asking this question in our challenge like 
many of us, oh, this is what faithfulness looks like. If you're in Greece and you're in this place, then your philosophies and what you, just what you believe is that's really all that matters. And then if you're in these other contexts, it's all about being really faithful and stringent according to the law and you do all the right things in that way. That's what it means. And James really writes um, to help people, help followers of Jesus understand this connection between proclamation and action, between confession and function, that faith is what we say, what we do, what we believe, and how we live, and that you can't separate the two, though we often do. And so the author James uh, writes this. In the whole book uh, there, he writes all about this, but specifically these two verses that we're looking at this morning hone in on it, and he says this in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then even skipping down to the second part of verse 27, he says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. In many ways, those, those uh, sections really connect with that idea of what we believe, what we profess, what we confess. And even in many ways, a personal faith, right? My walk with Jesus. Perhaps you've heard or used that phrase before. My quiet time with Jesus. Kind of me and God. It could be like personal, individual piety. And that's a good thing. Those are really good things. We just got out of a series that was in um, in Colossians primarily, and it was about Christian maturity. And in many ways, it was honed in on what does it look like to grow personally in belief and thought and word and action as a follower of Jesus. And so if you want to press in more, that's really important. And by emphasizing the other side of this, by jumping on the other side of the teeter, Hotter, it doesn't mean that we don't believe and want to emphasize that. So you can go back and listen to that sermon series. Um, this morning, we want to focus in on what does that look like in our action, in how we live? How does our faithful proclamation or profession show up in our function, in our everyday life? And right here at the first part of verse 27, he says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled. Insert there the word that I use at the beginning, good. Before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. This whole book, this whole section talks a lot about really important groups of people, marginalized, underrepresented. Some would use the language of voiceless or um, uh, uh, overlooked or oppressed communities. And there are the people in poverty, people experiencing homelessness, people who are, as we see here, widowed or widows, um, people who are marginalized, who are overlooked, who are oppressed. And there are lots of different groups who would fit in that category. And, and we as a church care a lot about all of those. And we need to press in and ask hard questions about all those. And, and, and yet, as Alex really so, so eloquently and so, I think, correctly connected 
um, specifically this idea of adoption, specifically God's heart and concern for children is not a coincidence. It's something that we need to pause and press into as a church. And when he speaks of orphans, that's what we want to press into and look about because um, uh, uh, that's what is right and true and pure. That's what is good, apparently, according to God, is to visit orphans and their distress. So what does this have to do with us as a church? Um, Let's actually hear from another pastor, uh, someone who I listen to a lot and respect and and follow. Um, It's about a three-minute clip from, or maybe two and a half minutes, um, of about a seven-minute clip. Um, probably from about a 20 or so minute sermon. So um, you can look him up and look it up more, but it's um, Pastor Robert Jelinas, Jelinas, G-E-L-I-N-A-S. And uh, he's in Colorado. And um, he is just, I love him and listen to him a lot. And in many ways, he would be considered like, the grandfather of AZ-127. So um, Redemption Church, many years ago, was was a primary um, founder of Arizona-127. And um, it was through relationship with this um, guy, Pastor Robert Jolinas, who started and helped start Colorado-127. Um, and uh, and they've seen incredible things happen, and, and 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 so that's kind of a setup now. And so if you can go ahead and dim the lights, please, uh, Sister Kim. Thank you if you're able. Uh, if there we go, I think that's it. That's good. So yeah, you can go ahead and start the clip here. Our God is a father to the fatherless by placing the lonely in families. That the way God cares for the orphans of the world is by placing them in the extra room in our house, the extra seat in our minivans, the extra chair at our dinner table. Our God is a father to the fatherless by placing the lonely in our families. I remember hearing a wise woman say, we need to stop saying that they fell through that we as Christians need to dispense of that language. And she says we need to be more honest, that, that they are not falling through the cracks, but rather what is happening is they are falling through the fingers of the bride of Christ. And she was so right. Because if God is a father to the fatherless, a father, he's a husband. If he's a husband, he has a bride. That bride then is the mother to the motherless. Who is God's bride but his church? Therefore, whose children are these but ours? The scriptures are clear. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless cares for orphans in their distress. And so there came a moment in my life when I realized that that caring for orphans wasn't just for my family, but it was something that God has called all of his family to. It doesn't matter um, if you're fostering or adopting or supporting someone who is, but all of God's people are called to live out uh, a life on, on behalf of the orphan. And so 10 years ago, I stood before my home church and I said, I've made a promise on your behalf 
I had gone to our lieutenant governor, and I had told her that I had done the math, that there were 875 children in the foster care system, 1,500 churches in the Denver metro area. If every church took one child, there'd be a waiting list of families, but not a waiting list of homes. And that began us coming to the riverside, us immersing ourselves in the water, and we realized we were not alone. There were many who had uh, joined uh, and gone into the river before us. There were many who would join us in the future. And we became a part of this movement that Jesus was bringing about in our state, a movement of dozens of churches and ministries joining and partnering with government on behalf of children. Ten years later, hundreds of children have found their forever family in Colorado is a place where families are waiting for children, and we will work until Colorado is a place where there is a family waiting for every child because our God is a father to the fatherless. Our God is a father to the the fatherless. Psalm 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And as Pastor Jalowinus pointed out, it is through the bride of Christ that God makes himself a father to the fatherless. He does this through an important word I heard from another pastor, right? In James 1.27, again, there's a verb there, an important word, and it says to visit, to visit. That's a key word. That's a a beautiful word. It's a powerful word. It's an inviting word. It's to bring us into God's very work. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, it says, God visited the Israelites and saw their struggle, and he acted. It's to move toward, to see, to incarnate, to be among and with In Luke chapter 1, verse 68, when Zechariah learned that his wife was pregnant with John the Baptist, who would be the cousin who would pave the way for Jesus to come, he said, God has visited and redeemed his people. As I have up there, visiting is seeing, moving toward being with people in their pain and abandonment. God is a God who visits and he chooses to invite you and me to find him in these often painful and difficult places. But church, let's be honest. Everything in us is set up to live a different way. We don't want pain. We don't want abandonment, suffering, sadness, right? I've, I've heard it said, actually, Pastor Marcus pointed this out to me, that um, if, if you ever go to our church office, hopefully you will experience there are tissue boxes everywhere. And we need to keep that going. Uh, and we hope to always have that going. But it's in part because we want tissues to be available, but we don't want to hand someone a tissue box in their weeping, in their crying, in their suffering, because often to do so is actually a very selfish act, not to shame anyone. I've done it tons of times, but it's often driven, especially in our culture, because we're really uncomfortable with sadness. 
and suffering. And so when someone's crying, often, even subconsciously, we give them a box of tissues to help us feel more comfortable so that they can kind of stop crying and do something with their tears. Yes, it's also kind and loving if they have snot running down their faces and are wiping their, you know, to give them a tissue. That's a kind and loving thing. So that's why, again, though, we want to try to get in the habit or get away from the habit of just handing a tissue box. But we want them to be right there on hand if someone else wants to grab one. But that's just an illustration of what we naturally do. And I just want to, again, acknowledge here, even as we begin to close and to consider how we respond to this call, the charge, the challenge, the invitation. This is painful in many ways. It's not, I think, Charlie and Alex would again be quick to say um, they haven't arrived or figured it out. That's not what it means to be a good Christian is, oh, you go and you become a foster or adoptive parent. Now you've got it nailed and you're doing it just right. Or this is the cure. This really hits home for my wife and me that this is now all of a sudden the the cure or healing for infertility. That, oh, just just adopt and you won't ever be sad or you won't ever struggle with the reality of not being able to uh, have kids biologically. That's not that's not reality. Um, it's also, I want to say that this is, um, it, it, there's also lots of pain I've heard and experienced from dear friends who have entered into the process and maybe even moved toward adoption and then the system maybe let them down and, and the kids were taken away, maybe even put back into difficult circumstances. Or on the flip side, there's another ministry connected to Arizona 127 that is committed to fighting for biological families and and there and because that's a beautiful picture of redemption as well that you might be called to foster and to be involved for a while maybe even years and then uh, a birth parent or parents might be eventually in a place now to be reunified with their biological children and that's a beautiful but i don't want to um water down that it could also be so so painful And yet, that's the place where Jesus is. Some of you have heard us talk about this before. When when Jesus is eating in a home, a Pharisee, Simon, the Pharisee, has him over to his home. And a woman, who's referred to as an unclean woman, comes and is so overwhelmed with Jesus' love that she weeps and, and she washes his feet with her hair, and, 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 and as she's doing it, everyone else is judging her. And the way feasts would have happened in that time, Jesus' feet are facing this way, and his upper body, everyone's, would be facing each other. And he could talk to the people that he's addressing, but what he does is he turns and addresses Simon across the table while looking at this woman And what he's doing in that moment is he's forcing everyone to look at where his heart is. A picture of undone, of pain, of healing and joy coupled with repentance and a life of suffering. And Jesus forces us to do that. And so much of 
his life is where all throughout the, the epistles and the gospels and all these different places, we see that, that, that Jesus is near to, is close to the brokenhearted. And his invitation is, I want you to walk with me. I want you to have quiet times. I want you to have a personal individual faith with me. I want your communities to be where I am. And, and, and yes, it is sometimes around shark charcuterie boards and jazz bars and, and, and really comfortable, fun places, but it's also where he really kind of camps out as in these places that everything in us wants to move away from, where there's potential pain and sadness and suffering. And so religion that is pure and right and good understands that when we embody and confess and profess and embrace the gospel, that, that, that our lives will reflect that. By the way, before I, I kind of connect the dots, sorry, I just want, because I heard someone say, and it wasn't fully answered, kinship. What is kinship? Um, kinship is, we, and we've gotten to experience this in our own church, and our church came around it, and there are families, I don't know if they're been here this morning or see, but there have been families that a, 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 a family member was unable to um, safely and, and really healthily care for their biological child. And so a, um, brother, a family member uh, then f- fostered that child and they considered, will we be able, will this child be able to be reunified? And then in a beautiful picture, the church family through redemption community and connection got involved and there's now an adoptive uh, story there. And, um, and, and it's beautiful and good, but again, not without pain. So kinship is that when a family member is um, is able to 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 stand in the gap for a season or for a lifetime. And um, church, if you or I are feeling guilty right now, uh, that's not the goal at all. As again, Alex pointed out in Romans chapter eight. Um, in especially verses 14 through 17, I won't read all of that, but that's where the dots are connected, that Jesus, through visiting us, through his work of redemption, through his incarnation, taking on flesh, moving into our places of pain and brokenness and suffering, experienced a abandonment and rejection when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he, he took on our orphan status so that we can share in his inheritance and join with saying, Abba, that's a personal, a kind, a loving, endearing kind of term that we now can call God the Father, Abba, Father, we now can share in his eternal inheritance as firstborn sons with all the rights and privileges. And so when this call, this charge, this invitation for us, church, is not out of condemnation or shame or anything like that, but it's an invitation that that the response, that's why we intentionally use the language after the sermon, we now move into a time of what response? Because we've just heard of the person and work of Jesus, and by his spirit, we are now led to respond, respond in worship, in singing, in prayer, in giving, in participating, in remembering. Someone just pointed out to me, too, this is, this is a, a, a really violent thing that we do here. We, it's not clean and buttoned up. We, we remember a, 
a brutal, um, a, 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 a wrecked body and a, and a shedding of blood. And we have a symbol of death and torture up here. And we do all that because we know that it is through those things that Jesus has given us life. And so now we respond with his invitation into life. And I don't know what the exact action point is for all of us in this room. It likely will look very different, but for all of us, it's an invitation. It's a call. It's a charge to be involved with where Jesus is. True and right and good religion is to visit widows and orphans. Let's pray together. Again, Father, we consider now how to respond. How do you lead us to respond as your people? Lord, I pray most of all, as has been said here, uh, hopefully lots and lots, that our first response would be to you. What, who are you, Jesus, and what have you done for us? What are, is your invitation into life to grace, undeserved favor, that we have nothing to prove and no one to impress, most of all, most importantly, Lord, to you. And out of that freedom and gift and inheritance, Lord, will you, by your Spirit, lead us into these maybe, likely, uncomfortable places, just like you did. You moved into death, but on the other side is resurrection and glorification. Lord, let us live the life that you lived and that you invite us into. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.